A big Tuesday for the Phoenix Suns after a sale of the team, a potential injury to a star player, and a last-second loss. On today's episode of Locked On Suns, I will give you my thoughts on every single part of this big Tuesday. Let's go. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past six seasons and a writer at Suns.com and Dime Magazine. Thank you all for making Locked On Suns your first listen here on this Wednesday, coming off of a back-to-back and a very big day in Suns history, frankly, here on this Tuesday. So tons to get to. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your one-stop shop for all of it, your very first listen each and every morning. If you're finding us on YouTube, go ahead and hit the subscribe button, hit the bell down below, get a notification. If you're finding us on Apple or Spotify or any podcast platform, make sure to do the same. Get this show in your feed every single Monday through Friday. You can also follow along at LockedOnPHXSuns as well. That is the best way to keep up with the show, support the show, and keep up with your favorite team, the Phoenix Suns. So let's dive in. Again, a very busy day. I know the Suns played a game. They lost 113-110. to 110. I will have my moment of the game and my takeaway of the game for you, get you caught up on a very crazy night at Footprint Center, but first we have to talk about the biggest news of the day. I I was maybe going to do a bonus episode, I ended up getting caught up in the afternoon, I did a YouTube short, maybe you saw that, but it's impossible to overstate how massive this news is. The Suns are going to be purchased by a new person, they are going to be owned by a new person. And so I want to give you my thoughts on Matt Ishbia buying this team for $4 billion. We went from who is this guy to Robert Sarver announcing an agreement to sell the team in a matter of hours. And there's a lot to dive into. Today's show is brought to you by BetterHelp. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash locked on NBA. All right, so again, it's Matt Ishbia, a 42-year-old, would be the youngest owner in the league, uh, mortgage lender, the, 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 the CEO of a mortgage lending company, took it from a mom-and-pop operation to a, a company that sold for, I believe, $16-plus billion through a SPAC in 2021. He uh, is still the the biggest shareholder and runs that company, but he got a big chunk of cash by taking that company public the way that he did. He also is a former walk-on and four-year player at the uh, at Michigan State University, where he was part of three Final Four teams, a championship team in 2000, um, and has apparently been poking around quite a bit Uh, on NBA teams and NFL teams apparently for a while. So Bill Simmons had dropped this name a while back on his podcast. You listen to Woj's podcast with Baxter Holmes. Obviously Baxter been covering this story, uh, has been covering this story for a long time, dating back to the initial expose on the team and both of them were not surprised that that Matt Ishbia's name came up. Bottom line is, 
he's going to be the, the new owner of the team. Again, a $4 billion price tag. So let's start there. I want to just walk through. I'm not usually the type to like pat myself on the back or, or use my thoughts as, as the law. But in this case, I, I, I did one final show on September 22nd, which was really like the last time that I talked about the ownership situation because frankly, a lot of those shows didn't do super well. I feel like you guys were kind of tired of hearing about it. It is a lot of drama. It is a lot of chaos, but I got a lot of those uh, initial predictions correct. And I think going through those is actually a good way to talk about this because the reason I made those predictions is because those were the things that were going to matter about the eventual price, the eventual person, and the effect that it would have on the team. So let's start with the price, all right? So back then, September 22nd, all my prediction was was that it was going to be over $2.5 billion, all right? Because I believe that was the previous record. Um, It was not that much higher than what the Suns had been valued at. When you look at Forbes or Sportico or some of these media outlets that, that value the team, or how high they had been valued when uh, dial home capital, I believe, or dial home court partner or something like that. Um, dial, let's just call it, uh, may they're a venture capital firm and they made an investment and investment in the Suns in 2021. When teams sell portions of themselves, you get that valuation. The Lakers just did that. And the Suns were at almost 2 billion then. And so the writing was on the wall with how much, whether it's the Denver Broncos or even Chelsea football club in England, how much these sports franchise price tags had, had just exploded, it wasn't hard to predict that that was going to happen. So I got that one right, right? Bill Simmons was on, on this as well. Lots of people were. I don't think it was a particular surprise by the time here in December. Uh, but back then, I do think we weren't really looking at it right. But what that means is the person buying the team is incredibly wealthy. He's anywhere from like the 8th or 11th highest valued uh, net worth person owning an NBA team now. Uh, And when you think about the fact that Robert Sarver was 30th on that list, he was not a very wealthy man. I mean, he's wealthy compared to me, wealthy compared to to you, I'm sure, but not in the grand scheme of sports owners, right? He was not even a billionaire, Robert Sarver. And now this man, uh, Matt Ishbia, is is 5.6 billion is his net worth. So uh, there you go. That's number one. It's important to have a very wealthy person if you're in, if it's important to you as a fan, which I know it is, to have the the owner spend money on things like uh, facilities, things like staffing, things like the luxury tax and player salaries. All of that adds up. Getting a person with much much more money is always going to end up being a good thing when it comes to the finances. Number two is. The person, right? I, I figured we would not... We, we heard these names when things first came out, right? When the news was first dropping. Uh, Mackenzie Scott, I believe her name is, the former wife, uh, widow of uh, Steve Jobs. You had Larry Ellison, the guy who runs Oracle, who is a super crazy rich person, owns one of the Hawaiian Islands, Lanai, I believe, used to uh, bid for the Warriors and got the team scooped out from underneath of him, and he's a, you know prolific right-wing political donor, which was part of the reason I didn't think it would be him. You heard Jeff Bezos. You heard Bob Iger. Bob Iger was a whole separate situation because he actually didn't have enough money to do it. But either way, I predicted we're not going to get a celebrity owner, right? That's not what's going to happen. I predicted a younger, rich guy 
uh, with sort of centrist or left-leaning politics, right? And the politics, maybe you don't think it matters, but it's, it does. It just does. I don't know, you know, uh, John Gonzalez over at The Ringer now, he's at Sports Illustrated, wrote a big article in 2020 when the players were pushing for police reform about how all these N NBA owners had donated to political causes directly in contradiction to what the players are pushing for. You have, you know, the polarization politically in our country, and it just wasn't going to be a good look for the league to bring in somebody like that when they're, you know, on number three here between Balmer, uh, between, let's say, Sterling between the former owner of the Hawks who was pushed out over a racial incident and now Sarver to bring in somebody who is appears to be on the wrong side of social issues. It just wasn't going to be palatable. I pointed to the Bucks owners, right? Mark Lazary specifically, his son ran for Senate as a Democrat in, in uh, Wisconsin this year, and he's been uh, on the cutting edge of, you know, philanthropic causes, social causes in that city on, you know, the liberal side of things. And so I, I pointed to him. I nailed that one. I mean, I don't, I don't think any, you know, I don't imagine, um, that Matt Ishbia's kids are going to be running for Senate as a Democrat anytime soon or anything crazy like that. But he's a guy, if you look at his political donations in the past, it's kind of gone both ways. He's, you know, not gotten into trouble with anything in terms of social issues, political issues, anything like that. And he's young. And so that's going to be associated with a certain level of open-mindedness that I don't think we necessarily would have associated with Robert Sarver even before all of this had come out, right? And last but not least here, it's the percentage uh, factor, all right? So what my last prediction was that the new owner would buy close to 100% of this basketball team. I want to mention the Suns and the Mercury were purchased. We don't have a lot of details about the Mercury aspect of this, unfortunately, those teams are undervalued. The media deal, they got hosed on, and we know all the financial uh, BS that goes on with women's sports, so I'm not going to dive into that too much. The point is, on the Suns side, it appears that it's about 60%. That's what Bill Simmons said. Uh, either Bill Simmons or Woj um, had this specific number. Both of them said, though, that it wasn't the full thing, and in Matt Ishbia's statement when he released it uh, through the Suns, Today, tonight, uh, after the game was over, he acknowledged that some of the minority uh, partners were going to remain in the ownership group, all right? And so we don't know who those are. We don't know exactly what that percentage is going to be. We know his brother is also being brought on as a as the number two, basically. And so it's, it's all unclear. I'm just personally surprised that it wasn't 100%. To me, that says... They liked this guy who has been poking around, who has become well-known in league circles and what he stands for and, and the type of way he'll represent the league and this franchise enough that the priority of getting somebody in place who owns a significant portion of the team, which you can tell they have wanted more often than not, whether it's Balmer uh, or it's even Ryan Smith with the Utah Jazz, uh, they don't like the, the any sport, like really, you know, they don't want the mess of all these minority owners. It just creates problems. It creates infighting. It creates too many voices, too many cooks in the kitchen, etc. So I was wrong there. I'm still surprised. But again, I guess that speaks to the belief in Matt Ishbia that um, Robert Sarver has as a, you know, as a shepherd of the franchise, as somebody who is good for the money, etc. And it speaks to the way that the league uh, looks at him. And it sounds like this move is going to be 
um, you know, the background check, the approval process from the other owners, all that stuff. Woj, I believe in his, his article about this called it a formality basically. And so that's where we are. That's why he got in without buying the whole hundred percent of this team. And, uh, and that'll be the case going forward. There will still be some other people involved here, including his brother, but also some of the people who owned portions of the franchise prior. All right, more to come on the ownership situation throughout the week. Aaron Edwards will be here tomorrow to talk about it, and then we'll close out the show. I'm hoping to get Dwayne Rankin from the Arizona Republic. But we have a game to talk about. The Suns lost a surprising, disappointing, bizarre game. So I want to take you through the middle of the fourth quarter when things really unraveled. We'll get to the moment of the game first. Today's show, guys, brought to you by BetterHelp. And here's the deal. Um... Unfortunately, life doesn't come with a loser, uh, a user manual. And so when it's not working for you, it's normal to feel stuck. Navigating any of life's challenges, they can make you feel unsure. Career change, new relationship, becoming a parent, maybe just going into a new year and the dread of, I want to make myself better, but I don't know how to do that. I mean, those are things all of us can deal with. And therapists are trying to help you figure out the cause of those emotions and learn how to cope with them, learn how to move through life in a more successful way and happy way. BetterHelp has connected over 3 million people with those licensed therapists. It's convenient and accessible anywhere, which is obvious, 100% online. Whether or not you've been in therapy personally yet, or you've just thought about it, learning the coping skills, self-empowerment, dealing with trauma, all these things are ways that you can get better. You can feel better and BetterHelp is there to help you do that. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus it is affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with the therapist. And if things aren't clicking, you can switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash locked on NBA. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Locked on NBA. All right, so uh, 113 to 110, the Phoenix Suns lose to the Washington Wizards. I want to um, zoom in on the fourth quarter. We're going to get to the moment of the game to start as normal. We'll just cut off the the usual final recap fun segments here uh, tonight because we wanted to talk about the ownership stuff. Here's the moment where the game started to turn. So Denny Avdia made a three at the five minute and 20 second mark. Uh, the Suns called a timeout a, a, a moment later. Um, the closeout on that three, which was in the right corner, that play, that closeout is when Chris Paul gets hurt. All right. So Taj Gibson sets sort of like a back screen. Um, so Avdia can have space to shoot the, the corner three. Chris Paul tries to fight through that screen to get a hand up and contest that three. Runs into Taj Gibson, grabs his right shoulder, goes down in pain. Very, very reminiscent of the fast break play um, in game one of the first round in 2021 against the Lakers when Chris Paul got his weird nerve, neck, stinger, shoulder. Still unclear fully exactly what was going on, I believe. Um, I don't even know what the name of that injury was. Point being... This looked a lot like that, but Paul sort of, you know, rolled around on the ground a little bit, grimaced, etc. The t- training staff, the rest of the team went, looked at him. 
and he shook it off. He he got back into the game. He didn't actually even sit at all. Um, and so health-wise, it's sort of a TBD. He took free throws at the end of the game. He took a heave three at the end of the game. It didn't look like he was grimacing. It didn't look like he was effect. It was changing his shooting motion too drastically. But there was also a play that we'll get to in just a second where you did feel like it affected him. But at that, from that point on, including the Avdia three, but bef- you know when as Avdia releases the three, the Suns are up ninety-eight to eighty-eight. His made three there puts it within seven, ninety-eight to ninety-one, and the that kicked off what would become a 17-2 uh, Wizards run, all right? They got back in the game. You know, they were down. The bench had made a really, really, really solid run, led by Landry Shamit, who we'll talk about in a second, Dwayne Washington. And it felt like the Suns were going to cruise to a win. They were up 8-10 to 10 points most of the early part of the fourth quarter up until about this point. Again, that kicks off a 17-2 run, which takes us to the uh, 1 minute and 38 second mark, all right? Kuzma made a left corner three in this case to put the Wizards up 5, 105-100. to That capped off the 17-2 run, and that leads us to a timeout that was called by the Suns, all right? In that timeout, the play that you I'm, you may have already seen on Twitter, on Reddit, wherever you are, um, Monty Williams and DeAndre Ayton arguing back and forth. Right before that, um, I want to say, I think it was that it may have actually ended up being right after that. The one minute and eight second. Yes. Okay. So that's where the 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 jawing happens between Monty and DeAndre Ayton. Later in the game, right after that, um, they break timeout. They're down five. They need a score. It game's not out of reach. Monty um, draws up a play. Chris Paul gets the ball. There's a screen. Mikhail sets a screen for Chris Paul on the on the right wing. Paul dribbles toward the you know the the top of the arc, coming to his left, and then Mikhail cuts down the middle of the lane. And DA is sort of just in no man's land at that point. What I believe he was supposed to do was set a screen for Mikhail and then potentially set a screen for Chris as well. I'm not too sure, but he was definitely supposed to create separation for Mikhail to to cut down the middle and potentially be open for a lob, a pass. That was the play, right? It was setting up Mikhail driving toward the basket to receive a pass and score at the rim. But, it, but DA didn't set that screen. Mikhail didn't get the separation. Aiton ends up uh, setting a screen for Chris. Chris drives. Doesn't shoot, which is the moment where you feel that injury, that shoulder problem potentially affecting him. He's right under the basket. We know he doesn't shoot a ton of layups, but this was a must-score possession, and he had an open path to just toss up a layup, basically. Doesn't do it. Gives up the ball to a cutting Tory Craig, who is blocked by Taj Gibson at the rim. All right, then Avdia gets the rebound. Aiton fouls Avdia down the floor. Then he gets to the free throw line, and that's the next part. You see Mikhail and Aiton getting into it. And so post-game, Monty explained his back and forth with DeAndre as something related to 
uh, defense and just a lack of effort. He said it was definitely not just DeAndre that he was disappointed with or not just DeAndre that he was kind of drilling into in that moment. You can kind of see in the video if you if you find it online that when Monty and Aiton uh, are going at it, Monty's sort of gesturing at the rest of the group. It kind of feels like, based on what he told us post game and what you can see in the video, that he's saying, I'm talking to everybody here. I'm not pointing you out. I'm not singling you out. And Aiton just frustrated, grumpy, whatever it was, kind of seemed to take it personally. He eventually calms down. You see uh, assistant coach kind of back him off. And then Dwayne Washington, of all people, kind of daps everybody up in the in the huddle and, and tries to make peace. Monty kind of walks away, separates himself, and then things go on. Mikhail, very clearly, he's you can see him in, in a video which was posted by Worldwide Wob on Twitter. Uh, he's post He's pointing to the other side of the court seeming to be referencing the botched screen, right? And so it's a series of events. Obviously, as I said, Gibson blocked Tory on the layup. Avdia gets to the free throw line. He makes both. There's a little bit of back and forth with the foul game in the final minute, but really that put them up seven when Avdia made his second free throw. The game was, was really out of hand at that point. So that's a bad stretch. Chris Paul gets hurt, 17-2 run arguing between the coach in the center, arguing between uh, a botch play, then arguing between the small forward in the center, and then a loss. Uh, and so, yes, I mean, that that really defined the game. The Suns had the game in hand, and then suddenly they did not. Let's close on a happy note. Uh, Landry Shamit was very, very, very good. A career high in points, a franchise high, tying a franchise high in three-pointers made. We'll talk about him on the other side first. A quick word from Bet Online. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis all year long. Get the latest odds and trends for every pro and amateur league out there, from pro football to college bowl season, basketball, of course, and soccer as we get back into club season across Europe. We've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts to inform your betting, you can find those at BetOnline as well. The fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. So head to the website today. That's BetOnline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, let's close things out with some positive. Landry Shamit, 31 points, 9 of 16 from deep, 10 of 21 from the field, and 5 assists to go along with it to just one turnover. He was very good, Um, especially in the second half, especially in that run that I referenced in the last segment that kind of set the Suns up with that double-digit lead that they ended up blowing Rather than what we've seen a lot of of the time this year and in the past, so it's kind of normal for NBA teams, right, is you worry about the the bench losing leads. Tonight it was the bench created this lead, took took control of the game. It had been very back and forth throughout, and they they seized it, led by Shamit in a bench unit. Dwayne Washington was in there. And then the the starters uh, botched it. The starters coughed the game up. Um, And Landry was, was... in there during those minutes too, which is why you see just a plus four for him in the box score versus plus 18 for Wainwright plus 12 for Biombo. But he was aggressive is, is the bottom line. And, and, you know, if you've been watching the Bally sports, Arizona broadcasts, Eddie Johnson has been imploring Landry Shamit to just be aggressive. I think people were saying that tonight I didn't watch cause I was at the game. 
that Eddie even said that he directly had a conversation with Landry telling him as much to just go ahead and shoot when you're open, be aggressive, have that mindset in games. But we all know that, right? That's nothing new. Um, Shaman is a guy that wears it, wears it on his, on his sleeve, right? Like we know what his mood is. Uh, I would say Dario Sharge is a very similar type of player. And I think Jock Landale is a guy who we've seen struggle with confidence lately as well, but Shamit probably more so than anybody else. The problem is I don't even think it really affects his three point shooting. Cause if you look like he's still been a good above average three-point shooter most of his time in Phoenix for, you know, a season and a half now. He takes the threes when they're open for the most part. Maybe not as many as we would all like, but he does that. It's all the other stuff that he doesn't do. He doesn't take the contested threes, right? He doesn't take the no hesitation, I have a green light types of threes. He doesn't take, you know, one dribble pull-up, a two dribble pull-up. He doesn't try to get to the basket and, and finish or draw contact. He doesn't really... He passes a lot, but he passes to bail to to get off of it. He passes it like it's a hot potato, not to set teammates up in advantageous situations, right? And so he was doing the exact opposite of all of that tonight. He was taking contested threes. He was taking in rhythm, no hesitation threes. He was taking, um, you know, he was getting to the basket. He was he was playing with good pace and and using that to his advantage to get the defense off balance a little bit. He was getting to the basket and then, you know, he had a couple up and under those very cool basketball plays where a guy gets, he jumps, gets caught in midair and he finds a cutter under the hoop, whether that's a, a rolling big man or somebody who cuts from the perimeter. He had a couple of those in the fourth quarter. He was, you know, the best version of himself, which is no no surprise when you see he has a career high plus five assists. It was like if the guy we saw, if you remember back to game five against Dallas, Shamit looked like a whole new player. I would say that was his best game as a son up until this point. I know he had a career high. I think he had set his previous career high at 30 as a son as well. He's had a couple games um, the year before he got to Phoenix and then last year with Phoenix where he played it uh, really, really well in April, like as the season was coming to a close, I tend to take those games with a little bit of a grain of salt. So this to me was obviously his best. I would say that Dallas game was his second best. And what he did then was the same thing. He was getting to that mid range pull up. He was taking off the dribble threes. He was, you know, handling the ball without any fear. He was hustling and playing with great energy on both ends. And I think we saw that version of him. I, I just, as much as I, you know, this is positive. He, he's done, he's been doing everything else, right? It's very hard not to feel happy for him. It's very hard not to feel happy for him. I know a lot of us love to drag him, love to criticize him, but he put himself in a situation to get this opportunity to have a career night tonight. And what I mean by that is, as much as we might all want to roll our eyes, as much as we might all want to say Dwayne Washington should get his minutes or whatever it might be, you know, the Suns need to trade for somebody new to replace what Shamit's doing, all that stuff. And I might agree with some of those takes at times. The reason he keeps getting time is not because we, you know, the jokes of Monty wishing that he had married his daughter or whatever, the silliness of that. It's he makes the right decision, he doesn't turn the ball over, he plays in .5 offense the way that Monty wants him to do, and he 
plays good defense. Like he's in position. You saw even tonight, there were times when he was getting switched out onto Kuzma, switched out onto Beal. Those guys were trying to take him in the post, whatever it might've been. And Shamit holds his own. He's also always in the right spot with when it comes to rotations, all this stuff. And so when you do that, that stuff consistently, you stay in the good graces of your coach. And so when there's a night where Damian Lee doesn't really have it, where Devin Booker is hurt, where Dwayne Washington is still getting back into rhythm and where campaign is out and you need Shamit to step up, he is in the rotation. He is still has a, a certain level of confidence to know what his role is and, and be able to, to take it. Do I think that continues? That's the big question. That's the million-dollar question, right? If campaign is back, if Devin Booker is back, if Dwayne Washington keeps playing well, if Josh Okoge even returns, whatever it might be by Friday when the Suns play the Grizzlies at home, do all those things still happen? And I don't, none of us can say that. We've never been able to see Shamit string these things together. But if there's any way to get the confidence, to get the wind in your sails, to uh, do it again, it's a career high. It's a tied a franchise high of 9.9 made three-pointers and uh, leading what should have been a win if they could have taken it home with that massive run with that second unit. This should be the game to, to get him there if there ever was one. We'll see. That'll close us out for today. A big thanks for making Locked On Suns your first listen. Little game, little ownership stuff will make do. More ownership talk for the rest of the week. Aaron Edwards will be here tomorrow. We'll try to get another guest on Friday. So keep it right here for that. Hit follow, hit subscribe. Make sure you don't miss a show. In the meantime, go make Locked On Sports today your second listen to get caught up on everything else going on around the world of sports. That show available wherever you get podcasts, and I will talk to you all tomorrow.